All right, cool. We're back. Yeah. All right, sorry. This stuff is uh, it's the best. running through me. And I think, no, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, and if you go back to it, there's one thing that you said at the beginning of this that's kind of stuck in my mind is like, it's like that thing that everybody dreams about, right? They dream about it, right? It's on Instagram. They they, they dream about starting their own business. And, and what I would say in that situation, most people are dreaming about the wrong thing, right? They don't know, like they're dreaming about something that they have no idea about, right? So if like, if, if you, if you actually, and that's what I'm talking about with these companies too, right? Is they go in and, and sell an opportunity right. to these young kids. But one of the things that they don't tell them is that 50%, 50% of the kids that start a summer don't finish it, right? 50 They're talking about how all these kids that don't have any experience are going to go in and, hey, if you work real hard, right. then you're going to have a Tesla like me and you're going to make it. I mean, you could make this much. And this is what the average was last year. And like, Kids don't understand the difference between a median and an average, right? Like there, there's all sorts of shenanigans in play, right? Right. And and what they're doing is is they're presenting the best possible situation, which is not based on the truth, right? Right. That's how, how can we present it? Which is what Instagram is. Yes, exactly. It's the best possible. And so you have all these kids that come in and do this job, and some leave saying, "Oh, it was a scam, or it was this." And these people get all disenfranchised, and the reason that they get disenfranchised. It's because the story that they told when they sign up, when they actually show up to do the work, it's not actually what happens, right? And that's one of the things that's been, for me, that's been something like we've grown slower than these guys. And and look, you can build a business however you want. I'm not saying that my way is the right way, but it's the right way for me, right? right? And And it's because I have values that affect my behavior. And I'm true to those values, even when it's difficult to do that. And so, you know, up until this last year, our retention was like well over 90% of the people that started a summer that's finished. That's but, it, you know, but we didn't grow at the same clip as the other companies because I wasn't as aggressive on recruiting because I was willing to tell somebody, hey, look, if you think that you're going to show up day one, not have any experience in this, and that you're going to make $100,000 this summer, then I'm not your guy because I'm going to tell you the truth. Yeah. And the truth is, is, hey, if you make 25 is that better than what you would do staying home? Well, yes, significantly better. Okay, let's start there. And then if we start there and you surpass that, then like everything's great after that, right? And so so the idea is is like if you can tell people the truth, right? And then people can still make that decision, then you then you've got the right people. The temptation is is I want more people. I want more accounts. Right. If I don't tell these people this, then they won't sign up, right? And so like that tells you now that your values are going to translate to everything, right? The same people that are on these doors with customers that are saying, oh, it's not a contract. And yeah, we, you'll never see a bug again after we spray. Those are the same guys in the recruiting room that are saying the same things these guys are doing. It, it, you can't separate yourself from your values. Right. And so the significance of that is like what you were talking about. These people dream of this, right? The car, the house, everything like that. Well, let me tell you the dream, right? Let me tell you the dream. The dream is this. You start a company and you have $100,000 saved to your name, right? You spend a, a vast majority of that buying a truck, showing up at a at a Starbucks, not very far from here, signing on a 65-year-old a, a dude from Oregon that is willing to switch over, has no idea who you are, just knows that you have a truck, a physical truck. I guess this is happening. He still works for me today, by the way. That's so cool. He's like, employee number one still works for so me. Cool. And he's like 70s, you know? Yeah. And, um, you know, you do that and 
you start a business. The first year you go out and knock most of the doors yourself, right? Two years in, you have a partner that has some, uh, you know, some issues and needs to get out of the business now, right? Yeah. Blames you for his issues that are, you know, d different, whatever. But yeah. it was, it was fine. Get out of that partnership. Which well, is so funny what you say. It's like what you're describing is no different than any business in any other industry. You start a low. Correct. Employee number one, right? You're still doing most partnerships work. don't work out, right? So in this case, all of a sudden, one day you have a lawyer that calls you and says, "We're going to force you to sell half of your accounts," and like you never had that discussion even with your partner. Yeah. All of a sudden, this just gets pulled up, right? Then you have employees that are telling you things like, "Oh, well, he said the reason you're not paying us more is because of you. He wanted to pay us way, you know." And there's all these different things that go on. All right. Yeah. That's a partner goes away. I buy him out. Right. 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 So I buy that partner out. And, and now we're three years down the road. I've paid myself one time, yeah. one time, that's five what, grand. That's what the employee in three years. Right. Absolutely. Okay. And then, and then this is how it typically happens. You get to year five, right? Year five, you start saying to yourself, oh, this might actually work. Right. Right. Then you get to year seven and you start turning the corner. You're like, oh, this is going to be great. Then you get to year 10 and you say, I can't believe I ever thought about not doing this. Right. But like, Sounds if, you, if you really want to sell the dream, right. Sell that. Yeah. Because that's a reality. It's like, look, your helicopter didn't come yeah. because you just willed it into existence. Yeah. Right. It came because you started a business where now you have over a million followers right. and you freaking pedal, you, you pedal some products that you probably don't even believe in going back to Instagram. And you just put on videos that like do that. And, and every day you show your helicopter landing at your house. Yeah. I've right? seen that. Or every day. And, and have you seen that? And look, I might, I mean, you're speaking. It sounds like nobody, a specific. Yeah. Yeah. It, nobody cares about me. So probably nobody will see this, but like, but, but, but here's the thing, right? Is that people are not selling reality. They're selling whatever will make you click on their. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And hopefully that adds some emphasis because as a Mormon, I don't swear that much, yeah. but like whatever Let makes me. you. Can we get that? Listen. Yeah. <laughs> don't tell my bishop. Yeah. Um, yeah. But like, listen, whatever gets you to click on that post. That's what they're selling, right? It's the book. Yes, they're not selling their out, and and there's all sorts of justifications, right? Which is like, well, but I'm going to make their life better, and like, like everybody can do this. And it's like, well, I got news for you. There are certainly people that work for me that are they know it, and and they're comfortable with the fact that they don't want to own their own business. You know, he said something interesting. Riley said something interesting about partnerships, right? Um, you fly solo, and you fly solo. Yeah. Right. After being in a partnership. After being in a partnership. And yeah. I think I have this phrase, which is, they lied to you. Work with your friends. And I get challenged every day when I tell people that phrase. In fact, I stood it up as in, on, on, as a as a Twitter post on LinkedIn or uh, on, on Instagram. Again, to, you know, saying that they lied to you and you should work with your friends. And I think partnerships are beautiful. And I have, since the inception of basically my company, have worked with or as partners only with people I know from my youth um, 
people I know and love and where it's culturally a fit. Does that make sense? Where you grew up in the same set of circumstances and you want to see them succeed as much as you want to succeed. And I know you challenge me on that, right? Um, I often say to people that, listen, it's worked for me just as what you're saying. This is my model for success. This is my model and it scales slowly. And I would argue that my model also scales slowly. It scales conservatively because foundationally, those are my beliefs. And it is definitely a circuit that doesn't open the full way to let in all that scale, to let in all that success in that it opens slowly. But I would say that it is more stable and it is the most rewarding thing in life when you can share success with the people you know and love. And that can be in a partnership capacity, or it can be at a company where you share the upside of the company, mm -hmm. right? Um, with your employee base, whether it's like an ESOP or something like mm -hmm. that. Um, REI, for example, right? The retailer, yeah, the outdoor retailer, that's an ESOP. Yep. Right. And I don't know, like, do you notice every year you get an email from REI that says like, here's your $20 reward from everything you spent during the year. Yeah. Right. That's them giving back. Right. Um, in terms of a rebate based off of how well they did during the year. And I think too many employers and too many people you see on Instagram, um, with the self-promotion, the landing, the helicopter and the, the, um, the G-Wagon with the six wheels and all that that they're driving on their property, if we're talking about the same person. I don't know if we are. I don't know if we are either, I but now I've got to go to their Instagram. But I, think they're, but I think they're in Utah. Um, but I think, you know, <laughs> as possible. it is possible. But I think when you're projecting that type of success, as opposed to projecting the success of your employees, you've lost sight culturally of what matters in the world. And listen, I'm all about it. You want to promote? It's easier for them to do that though, because a lot of the, they don't have that many employees, right? Like these are, okay. it's, it's a, that, that business is just presenting. Okay. Right. So whatever it costs you to present, that's, that's what it is. They, they don't really have like, I mean, look, they, they've got some employees, but it's, I think it's a different landscape than what I'm dealing with. Right. Right. As far as, as far as I have, you know, 50 employees. Right. And. I, I know these people pretty well and I know, I know some of their issues and, um, yeah, I, like, I, I don't think that it's the same thing, right? Like it's, it's not, it, it's not as ro robust as far as being like a, a service business or, or something like that. Yeah. But listen, I, I try to be really slow to judge. I just, for me, it's not me. And I, and I don't think that it provides the same kind of value that they might, that they think it does. Right. But that doesn't mean I don't think people should be able to do it. Right. No, it's, it, this is a drug that is prescribed to a certain subset of the population that is dealing with these symptoms. And for these symptoms, maybe they should take that drug. One of my most, like one of my all time favorite influencers on the internet is this guy, Dan Fleischman. I don't know if you've seen him on the internet, but I'll, um, you know Dan Fleischman, right? I, yeah, I've heard of him. I yeah. thought you were going to say me, but... Yeah, you are. I want to hear But the reason why I love Dan Fleischman is that all of his social media is centered around helping others. You have, you have a proliferation 
of the Grant Cardones and, you know, anyone, everyone in between. And I have nothing negative to say about them because the truth is, if I would say something negative about them behind their back, then I would do the same to you behind yours. Yeah. But the reason why I love and respect this guy, Dan Fleischman, is because everything that he does is centered around helping others. You never see the camera focusing on what Dan Fleischman has accumulated in his life. Mm -hmm. He's not showcasing Lamborghinis or helicopters or private jets. Uh, right now, we're in the middle of, or we're in the beginning of December, and he's focused on a charity. I think it's called Trina's, Trina's Kids or Trina Cares, and it's a toy drive, and it's the world's largest toy drive. And he's going, I don't know, a few dozen locales throughout the United States. And he's basically collecting toys, right? That's the whole meaning behind this season, right? Which is to give to people who don't have. And I think, you know, there will be a grand reset. There always is, right? Where people have ascribed these sort of things as memento, mementos to their success, right? Whether it's big houses and cars and those types of things, there will be a grand reckoning where those things will move and they always do, um, where they're traded, right? Whether it's time, love, attention, adoration, or consumer goods, right? Water has a tendency to find its natural level. So the people who have those things but shouldn't generally lose them. And the people who deserve those things, not necessarily saying that you want those. How about earn? Yeah. Better than deserve. Yeah. Yeah. No, better said. Absolutely. The people who have earned those things, right, will share those things with the people who have followed them in their journey. You know, and I, I remember as a school kid hearing this um, in Hebrew school, um, hearing this song, um, don't walk in front of me, don't walk behind me, just walk like next to me. And that has shaped my philosophy of how I run my own company, whether it's in terms of partners walking next to me or it's in terms of employees, right? Like we will all walk shoulder to shoulder, shoulder to shoulder towards success and we'll do it together. And I think if it, to the, to the young entrepreneurs that are listening in, it's like you're seeing this flashiness in front of you on Instagram and it's hard. It's seemingly almost impossible to not fall victim. To, to taking that on as like a, um, your new culture, your new religion, your new belief system, which is I've, I've got to run towards these shiny things. But in reality, pace yourself, right? Whether that's in terms of taking on partners or giving up more upside in the business to employees, letting them see your P&L, you know, let your employees know that you haven't taken a salary in three years and that instead you're building the foundation of the company giving you know my my business coach james always says this treat your business as if it was a partner in your business right so if you're getting paid by 10 15 20 50 thousand dollars a month well the business should too the business the business should have a stake in and of itself because that breeds security that breeds, you know, stability. 
And I think once you start to think about partnerships or running a company with that stakeholder mind, right? That, that stakeholder mindset, then your employees feel stable. They feel secure. Trust me. And, and I know you can relate. If you pull up today, right? To We Do Creepy in a Tesla plaid, like you were describing before, right? How will that make employees feel who are catching the bus, getting dropped off by a loved one, tr- driving a broken down truck with a window that won't roll down? Do they do they see you and your success and go, I want to get there? Or instead, do they see you with these shiny things and see, well, that's why I don't get paid more? Well, that's why that's people like when they see people, those things, usually it's a representation of what they don't have, right? And that's, and, and that's one of the attitudes that people have to, they have to vacate that idea in order to make room for them to, to get to the next level or to get the things that they want. But it, it's like the reason that I would drive what I drive to work is because that's authentically me. I, I mean, I don't think that the person that drives the Tesla Plaid to work is a bad person if that's authentically them. So right? what's your number one sales guy drive? Um, well, I try to hire people that are similar to me. And so my number one sales guy drives a POS, man. He drives a, I think he has like a some kind of Honda or like a, he had one of those XB little box things. Yeah, like a Toyota or something. Yeah, the Scion. And then, uh, and then the other one uh, drives a Chevy Bolt. It's an older version Chevy Bolt. And so like I, this year I've been very fortunate. I'm surrounded by a lot of people that have the same values as me. Right. And so instead of having like the huge headquarters and, uh, doing the trips and everything like that, I just pay them more money. And then I let them decide how they want to spend that money. And I, I realize that you do sacrifice a little bit in culture there, yep. but I've had to accept the idea that the people that you lose in culture that way are people that may not be the best fit for your company. And that's okay. It's a delicate balance. Yeah. I think it's a delicate balance. I think where we falter as an organization, um, primarily as a work from home company, multinationally, right? Because we have offices in Mexico. um, You lose, and I think similar with your business, because generally people are outside your office, right? Yeah, they they have a vehicle that is ours that they, but they work uh, they, they leave their home. They don't come into the office every day. Yeah, that's right. what I mean. Right? Yeah. So culturally, you're fighting against the ocean current, mm-hmm. right, of lack of culture. Yeah. So um, if I was to criticize myself um, as a leader of an organization, I would say that, like, I haven't put more chips over here on on a intentional culture. And an intentional culture helps employees understand, embrace, but also shape the vision of a company, right? You have a mission, yep. but with your employees, you have a vision. And I think leaving them out of the, leaving them out of the equation to help shape the vision of the company. And that's done so in a capacity of um, being in an office or taking trips together, yep. right? having them help shape the vision of the company is definitely something that I'm failing at. Um, my business coach would say it's an opportunity. I always look at it from like, oh, I'm failing at this. And he would always say, no, 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 William, 
this is an opportunity to get better at X. So let's do that. But I think, you know, for, for those who run companies, you know, alarm companies, garage door companies, uh, pest control, solar, solar, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Any of those types of companies where you always have employees outside of the office. I think one of the challenges you face, again, with the waves breaking on your face as you're trying to build that intentional culture, is that the employees aren't in an office. And so generally what ends up happening is it's your sales hitters, right? The big hitters that are shaping the organization as they accumulate things. Oh, did you see John? John just got a new car. Oh, he's got his fancy apartment. Oh, did you see the big house he bought? And so you start to lose control over the mission. Because as I feel like the, the mission of what you want to do, right? is the same culturally as the mission that you have when you were a young man door knocking. Now the vision, the global vision for what you want to do as HomeGuard or we do creepy.com, which is that vision has to be shaped culturally. All the employees have to have an indelible fingerprint yeah. on the vision of the company. They must be included. Well, we talk about that all the time, right? And that our culture is, is that we do what's right for the customer right from the get-go. And our, our, our actual mission statement is have fun and make people happy, right? And so like the whole creepy thing is marketed around being being outside of like over-professional. Like it's pest control, it's not rocket science, right? Yeah. We're going to kill these people's bugs. And so it's like, we do right by them, but let's, let's have fun doing it, right? Yeah. And so I feel like people uh, in our organization are free to be more themselves personality-wise because of what we do. And they gravitate to that. But like the biggest, our, our, our number one rule in the company. So have fun and make people happy. That's, that's, that's our mission. Yeah. Right. Our number one rule in the company is tell the truth. Yeah. Tell the truth. And like, we have to really combat those problems that come to these sales centric organizations because we could turn into that right away. Right. I don't want to see another ant ever. Oh, no problem. We'll make it so you never see it. Yeah, it's like, well, yeah. I'm sorry, but you live in a place where the ants like paradise just as much as we do, William. Yeah. And so the chances of you never seeing an ant again are zero. And if I have to tell you that to get your business, I'm not the right guy for me because I can't lie. Yeah. I can't lie to you. Like, I'm not willing, like we talked about this already, I'm not willing to trade money for my integrity. I love that. I'm not willing to do it. I won't do it. And the people that know me know that I won't do that. Right. Right. Yeah. And like people think I'm kind of weird sometimes. Right. Because I just not telling me the truth is not culturally in vogue. It's yeah. It's not popular. Right. Yeah. It's not sexy. Right. Yeah. yeah. No, it's not. Well, and listen, I'm not trying to pat myself on the back, but I am an enigma sometimes in this culture because people are like, I just can't. I'm trying to make sense of why you live where you do or drive where you drive or, or whatever. And I and I know that your company is successful. Right. And it's like, but again, here's the problem, right? Is that you you cannot change who you are in all these different situations. People can try to shape shift all they want, but just like I told you, if you're willing to say anything to the customer, that same guy's willing to say anything to recruit you onto the team, right? right? So it's the same thing with me. If I'm not willing to tell you the truth, right, when we're talking about, hey, or I'm not willing to tell the customer the truth when we sign them up, what how do I employees know that I'm going to tell them the truth. Right. Yeah. And so I'll go out and I'll still sell every now and then and, and I'll go out and have a big day. Right. And guys will be like, Oh my gosh, how, how did you do this? Teach me the ways Riley, teach me how you do this. you, you've been off the doors for 
six years and you show up and and show sell 10 in a day or still like, what's going right? right and i just tell them like i've got one thing that other people are not willing to surrender and teach which is just tell them the truth right. i show up and i tell people the truth you tell me i never want to see an ant again it's like well then don't sign up for pest control right because you're going to be disappointed yeah and so it's like why spend your money on something that's going to be disappointing to you, yeah. right? And I'll have that conversation with a homeowner right at their doorstep, right? And I've got pressure to sell. If I go out and sell, people know I'm selling. I got to sell some accounts so that they, the team knows, oh, you can still do it, or it's it's not too hard, or whatever, right? Yeah. But I've got to be able to do that. So there's a temptation to say, well, I could trade this principle right here in order to get this deal because there's a lot of other dynamics. That I don't need the money, but like. Maybe I need the cloud or maybe I need whatever. And it's like at some point when you surrender to being willing to just tell the truth, then you have something that no amount of money can buy. It's not a limiting factor. The truth is not a limiting factor to a company's growth. No. Right. But rather, it's the rocket fuel. In fact, it can help you to sell more. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. Because if I'm all of a sudden bringing up things that are going to be a barrier to entry to this person signing up for right. stuff before they do, yeah. it creates a relationship of trust. Right. And then as I work through that relationship of, uh, of trust with them, if I'm a real good salesman, I can trick them, right. but I don't have to worry about tricking them if I'm just willing to tell the truth. Riley, why don't you do mosquitoes? Because we haven't found a, a product and, and a process that allows us to take care of them on the level that I know customers expect. Yeah. You know, I had another uh, another pest control business owner that said to me, well, but we're getting $70 a month, you know, for for this service six months out of the year. Think about how much revenue there is. And it's like, well, I, I can't approach the problem that way because I don't think in terms of revenue. I think in terms of what I can deliver to the customer, right? right? Yeah. And look, I'm... I, like mosquitoes are here and they're and and they're not going anywhere. So I'm going to have to find a solution for that. But I'm not going to jump in the solution based solely on the revenue that can, I can bring. I need to find a solution that will give customers an expectation that's satisfactory. They're they're willing to exchange their dollars for, right? And once I can find that, I'll offer the service. So I ask. Let me let me ask you this. So we do creepies based in San Diego. Mm -hmm. What is a limiting factor in taking the brand, which I'm a fan of? I'm, I love the name. I've told yeah. you that more than once. Um, creepy guys, the creepy guys. Yeah, we're yeah. But what, what would, what obstacles are in the way of not just scaling in in sub California? Because I know you're in you're in San Diego County, Riverside County, San Bernardino County, LA County, Orange County. Why is there not we do creepy? In the Bay Area, why is there not We Do Creepy in, let's get back to the bikini lady. Why is there not We Do Creepy knocking on doors in Las Vegas? Well, part of the answer to that question is, we're is, 10 years is, in, right? is me, right? Like, right. I obviously, through this podcast, I'm sure you can, uh, I'm sure that you can ascertain that I am willing to... Easy with the big words, we're going to lose the yeah, big It's over. I, I'm willing to trade security for explosive growth or huge expansion right okay and so that security to me it, it represents the amount of freedom that i've earned to this point right and so diving back in and leveraging or taking on debt or those things that i really 
I really look closely at and I'm yeah. averse to. Okay. And so is there a way? Yes, you could do that. But here's the thing is that it's really hard to franchise this kind of business. And the reason it's really hard to franchise this kind of business and the reason that like Terminex and these other companies have bought back a lot of their franchises yeah. is loading the customers is the hardest part. But you're good at that. Yes. But the problem is, is that a franchisee is not going to understand that dynamic. Okay. So yeah. it, just because you have money to purchase a franchise. Well, let me argue this point. Yeah, sure. Let me argue this point. Yeah. Because I think at, as as somebody who is waiting for an invitation to sit on the board of Will You Creepy, <laughs> um, I think that you've figured something out. And I think one of the one of the most tragic parts about your growth, right, from an outsider looking mm -hmm. in, is not anything about your model in, in Southern California, but is that you haven't let the gospel spread. And I think it kind of goes back to your faith, which is like, okay, well, the way we're going to let people know is we're going to door knock. And you accept, you embrace, you promote. In fact, it's a, it's a principle of who, culturally, of who... LDS people are, mm -hmm. but yet you look at that same model for growth and you're like, no, not for me. I think maybe this is me just being crazy, but I see that model that, that LDS people embrace, which is the door knocking mm -hmm. model. And it's the most brilliant model of promotion, whether it be religion or communication. And, you know, you have you know, social media platforms, which is a form of door knocking. Absolutely. Right. That's how you bring in leads. Mm -hmm. But I would argue you take your best sales guy and you stick him in Las Vegas. Yeah. Right, with mm -hmm. a, you know, with a storage facility with all your equipment and supplies and a, uh, a WeWork space for when he needs to write up contracts or sure. catch up on paperwork. Mm -hmm. And I think that initial small investment, 60 to 100 grand, let them try for six months. I think you'd be surprised. I think you'd su be surprised at how fast the brand grows. Because I think there's two things that you're very good at that you don't realize. One is the branding, which I think makes so much sense, right? We're the creepy guys. We do creepy. Right. You don't want to do creepy. We'll do it for you. That's what we do. Shout out to Brian Ferry, my 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 design guy that that came up with the whole idea. And some other guy with the shout out. Yeah, I got to get man. paid. Got to get paid. He had to convince me. He had to convince me that it was a good idea. Yeah, yeah. But the branding is on lock. Yeah, yeah. Which is such an important Crazy. part, right? Such an important part. It, re it reminds me of the, that movie. Do you remember that movie with um, Michael Keaton, where he's playing Ray Kroc? It's a McDonald's. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he, Ray Kroc, Michael Keaton, uh, Michael Keaton's character, is telling the McDonald brothers that he wants to scale their business. And he wants to call it McDonald's. And the brothers look at themselves and they're like, why would you want to call it McDonald's? Right? Mm -hmm. And he's like, because that's a brand. And it's the same thing I would say for your brand, which is you have the brand at lock. We do creepy. Mm -hmm. You already understand embrace the door knocking from a very early age. Um, I think it's time to double down on those two things, right? And expand the brand. Listen, as a business owner, you have 
you do not have an unlimited amount of arrows in your quiver, dry powder, whatever you want to call it, revenue, right? Um, and so it's like, you know, there's an unlimited amount of directions that you can shoot arrows at, right? In terms of making investments as a business owner. But I would argue that with the fixed amount of arrows in your quiver, promoting we do creepy in all these different locales i mean it just makes sense yeah i mean look this is not a fight me on this, this is not a discussion that has this has it already happened right? usa what is so, it sit down at a university and you're like yeah challenge so so the problem with the way that you're seeing it is is that the door knocking has become such a cultural phenomena in like these kids going out knocking doors of course it's spread to there's there's tons of people that do that are not LDS, right? Of course. And, and so like door knocking is a whole environment now where, I mean, they're doing these big seminars just for door knockers, right? Like door knocking is, is a career option. And so, which is really great, right? Like this is expanded, it's allowed all these businesses to get built like that. But the, the problem that's come from that though, is it's, it's really cost prohibitive now. Right, because and, be, because of the cost, the human capital. Correct, like because so there's only a limited amount of these guys, and there's companies all the time that are trying to start up. It's all oh, we got the magic sauce this way, but it's like you can only cut a pizza so many ways, right? Mm -hmm. And it's like the only way that you can, you know, the only way that you can make that pizza analogy work is if you make a bigger pizza, right? Mm -hmm. But but the problem is is that like you're dealing with sales guys that are buying. Tesla's right. So like, this is part of the, this is like the underbelly of this kind of stuff, right? Which is a lot of these companies end up encouraging these guys to do this stuff, right? They encourage them to make these, these buying decisions. They encourage them because it's going to help you recruit. It's going to help you do this. People are going to pay attention. It just, it just works, man. You got to do it. Right? right. And on the flip side of that, I guarantee you there's someone in a back room that's pulling those strings that says sweep. Right. If we can get him tied into, into all debt. this stuff, debt debt then he's leave. never going to leave. Right. Right. And that's the truth. And like half the guys that I have at this point are guys that that didn't do that and like were averse to that and just saw the writing on the wall and realized this is all, you know, like this is this is really all just a projection right. of all these young men that are full of piss and vinegar right. and want to prove to the world that they're worth something. But getting getting back to that idea of dropping these guys in with a parachute yeah. and having them canvas. So here's the limitations to that. Okay. Cost limitations, because the, the commissions are through the roof expensive now because there are so many of them that do it. Well, so tell and me, there's so many, what are the commissions? So, so many companies looking for that. Well, dude, if, if you say, if you were a, say if you were a, a company and you wanted to hire a marketing crew, right? So let's say there's a guy that puts crews together and they want to put together a marketing team. I mean, you're going to pay anywhere from 70 to 90% of the first year's contract value of those sales just for that team. Whoa. That's insane. Yeah. That's insane. Right? So so the problem is, is so it's, it's similar to an insurance model where you market heavily, right? And you only make money on the renewal of the customer. Correct. Does that make sense? Correct. Yeah. And so okay. so you're looking at, depending on, on how you're doing it, right? You're looking at, you know, a year and a half, like 18 months before you're recovering that right and so you either have to have a ton of capital have to be comfortable with debt and then the headaches that come with 
you know, running a sales team full of young, yes, full of piss and, piss and vinegar yeah. guys, right? And like, I mean, I love these guys. I love working with them. They're awesome. But like, they present different challenges than the guy who's got an engineering degree right. that wants to show up every day and just get, you know, like be able to pay for his million dollar house, so, right? So, and he's betting that, every, like, he lives his life on payments, right? So let me ask you this. Are most pest control companies rolled up by PE firms or do they organically scale, right? And find that level of success. It's an eventuality, but it takes 10, 20 years. Or is it just these PE companies that are just rolling into town? Oh, we do creepy, take it. So PE is is actually new to the space recently, right? So usually it was a strategic partner, right? So usually you have a strategic partner that would acquire you. Once, um, you know, if interest rates go up, those strategic partners go away uh, and the PE guys kind of come out of the woodwork because they've got capital already raised, right? That's that's from, they haven't, if, if they haven't. Endless supply. Yeah, of, well, and, of, and they, they have capital already that they haven't deployed, right? Yeah. So they've got that at a low interest rate already. They haven't deployed it. So those guys kind of come out of the woodwork now. And so usually the idea is, is people will build their company for a certain amount of time and then they would either get, uh, absorbed by a strategic partner, which is what happened with that original company with Terminex, or these PE firms are getting into it, right? And they want to have a place to park their money where they've got a residual business, right? So talk about that. When they when they acquire a company like We Do Creepy, yeah. do they want a controlling interest? Do they want 51% or more? Yeah, more. Yeah. And, and, and then they want you to stay around for a certain amount of time, right? And so like, there's kind of a new um, emergence of strategy in this, which is like a lot of guys are just hanging on to their companies, right? Because they're thinking to themselves, all right, I already know how to run this. If I can find a good operations manager that can run this without me being present, which, you know, I just haven't been able to get to the point where I'm willing to do that yet. I'm still in the game. I feel young and chipper and and whatever. But like, you know, I have four kids. Right. And, you know, maybe there's a, a an opportunity to do a legacy business there. Right. Yeah. And. I get that. Or, or there's an opportunity at, at one point to be acquired and to help them start their own business. I, I mean, I don't know how that's going to look, but the landscape right now is that, um, you know, typically in the past, people have built it up to either sell it off to a strategic partner, and now PE firms are getting in on the mix. And you know, the whole um, the whole sales strategy for these PE firms is, you know. The first buyout is going to be small compared to the second buyout, right? Which I'm sure that they, they, they tell everybody that story. And so you like, you know, what's the advantage of uh, being acquired by a, a PE firm yeah. that doesn't know anything about my business except for, hey, we like the idea of having residual income. Right. And then I'm there for five years building the thing. And it's like, okay, what are what X factor are you going to bring in the door that I don't already have or that I can't already pay for? Singularly. Yeah, that's going to add rocket fuel to this thing where yeah. my second buyout, as you're presenting, is going to be worth more than the first. And it's like, I just don't... I just don't see it. So you've been approached before by PE. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, do, uh, we get letters in the mail all the time and people are constantly doing it. And I, I've never really taken it that serious. And and the reason is, is I like what I'm doing. I've built a business and a life where um, cash can be recirculated into the business without stressing my own personal life. Yeah. And so that's allowed me to hire some of these better or 
were more um more aligned right yeah uh value aligned people to work with me and so yeah i mean like there's that's it's really an interesting question right because you always you always get approached and and that kind of stuff but yeah the, the landscape is changing to where um if people are running their business properly right and they're okay sacrificing explosive growth for doing it what they feel is the right way right then that business has a lot of stability so let me and it'll have profitability as soon as you decide to pull back on the growth and so there's a there's a lot of money waiting on the other side of that that doesn't necessarily have to be realized through an exit okay all right i hear you i hear what you're saying mm -hmm. it sounds a lot to me like you've built a lifestyle business yeah sure right and in 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 business and i always tell young entrepreneurs this is that you can build two types of business you can build a business that is a lifestyle business that you use and i'm not necessarily saying to this degree with we creepy but that you you build this comfortable lifestyle business uh or you can build an enterprise level company and there is a point in the journey of an entrepreneur where you have to take this hard look in the mirror with who you are, what your goals are, what you're trying to achieve in life, and what you're willing to give up. Because that's the difficult part. It's the giving up. Yeah. And a lot of the times with entrepreneurs, the biggest thing that they won't give up is the control. And the, what I talk about with these young entrepreneurs is sometimes the founder is the limiting Oh, it's a lot of times the biggest problem. Yeah. Yeah. And and for founders to get out of the way is sometimes something that helps the business grow the most. And right. I think with PE firms, because I've met a lot of them, right, over mm -hmm. the years, um, or investment bankers that are trying to get your business sold, they're all selling the same dream, which is you'll sell and you'll have all this money. Mm -hmm. um, but I get from your conservative upbringing that slow steady um reliable growth right is a conservative way to grow and it's a um it's dependable right you you know it's like the employees coming to the office in the morning you know they're going to be there and sometimes that like is a comforting blanket yeah. that you can put on every night in the cold winters yeah and makes yourself feel warm and secure. I would argue that, and, and Josh and I talk about this all the time when it comes to like, how do you want to invest in lead aggregating? You can buy leads. You could buy leads off the internet, right? Angie's list, the likes. Um, you can stand up ads, right? Google PPC, yep. Meta, um, TikTok even, right? As a sort of more nascent platform for um, sort of direct to consumer marketing or even leveraging influencers. Um, cause I think that's an opportunity also for you. Mm -hmm. And then the third is just create the leads yourself. And I think, you know, I don't want to get too much into it in this interview, but like if the human capital costs are the most overbearing aspect of your ability to pull on these growth levers in multiple locales throughout the United States. I would say that you could, using technology, build lead funnels, right? Mm -hmm. And 
you were talking about sort of cutting a pie up into so many slices. I don't think you have to worry about the door knocking aspect in today's economy when you start leveraging lead funnels that are built internally. And I think building the lead funnels internally um, for your business is in line with how you've sort of orchestrated this symphony that is We Do Creepy today, which is like, it is built and not bought. Because mm -hmm. for growth, right, there's always two directions you can do or two directions you can go, which is you can buy software or build software. Mm -hmm. You can buy a sales team from another org or you can build one internally. And culturally, you know, for, for a company like We Do Creepy, I see this indelible fingerprint of Riley on sort of all aspects of your business. But I would say, if, if you were asking me to be an investor in We Do Creepy, I would say, well, these are the things that I want. These are the expectations for growth that I want if I'm going to put in a million dollars, let's say. And I would say that like your investment in technology is something that I think in your industry, they don't rely on. And just like your name is a game changer because of the branding, I would argue that those lead funnels sort of remove from the equation the human capital that seemed oh so necessary in the past, having people door knock, right? To spread the word, to spread the gospel. Mm -hmm. But if you could do it in a digital form, which is more consistent with the contemporary sort of uh, uh, DDC, DTC um, sort of advertising model, I would say, well, then you're just left with service people that you have to employ. And I think, well, is that, like, if I could solve that for We Do Creepy today, right? I could, we could build you lead funnels. Then would it be something you would consider? Or still having the service people out there is like, well, I lose control over them. I don't know how they're servicing the regularity of it. Well, I mean, I guess that, I guess maybe I don't understand the question, right? Because in one sense, it seems like we're talking about salespeople as in now we're talking about service people. So do you mean salespeople? Yeah. So I mean, like we could build the lead funnels to get you the customers that you need, let's say in Las Vegas. Mm -hmm. Does that solve the sort of insurmountable, you know, human capital cost to the extent where now the only part of the equation is just the cost relating to the service. Yeah. So, so, and there's people that are, are doing that kind of stuff. Right. So it's, it's that age old thing where it's like, we stick to what we know. Right. Yeah. And so, uh, the only way that doing something like that makes sense is if you can prove that model and then repeat it somewhere else. Right. Yeah. So, and in order to, um, prove that model, there's going to be a couple things that you're going to have to look at, right? One is, okay, what's the capital cost going to be? Do I have that capital or is I already committed to the, the door knocking team or whatever, right? Yeah. And then once you spend that capital, um, if you can prove that model, then certainly it makes sense, right? And then uh, like in my situation, we, we do both, right? But I know that on the digital side, we can do much better, okay. right? But my energy and time goes into the what i know and what i know is is door knocking and that's and and that again this is a perfect example of how the founder could be part of the problem right right but one of the things that's great about that is is that i have people that i trust yeah. and i know exactly what their production is going to be within some reasonable estimate uh, whereas i think in the digital marketing space and i think it's gotten better over the years but i mean there were a lot of grifters in the digital marketing space, right? Like I remember one time 
I paid somebody to do some digital marketing for me. I started auditing their stuff, realized that we weren't really getting much from it, right? They were counting phone calls from regular customers coming in. And I remember setting up a meeting with them in, in Utah. They were out of Utah. And uh, they were probably expecting us to stop, talk about what our strategy is going to be for the next year. I walked in the meeting and I said, okay, who are the two people that I'm paying mortgages for? And they're like, what do you mean? And I was like, well, I'm paying yeah. 7,000 a month. Right. How, what's your mortgage? You know, to the two partners. And they're just, they, they were like taken aback. And it was like, look, like there's no way to audit this, right? Especially in the old days, like there's no dashboard. And even if there is a dashboard, shit, I can put whatever kind of metrics I want on there, right? I don't know what's happening in the background. I don't know how what calculations you're doing. Right. And so these people can easily just say, oh yeah, we've gotten you this many leads. And and I know it's a sales, like it, it's a it's an exercise in sales. And so, well, we got this many leads for me and they only cost this much. And it's like, if I'm not doing that data on my own, then how do you really know, right? Because they have an incentive to do the same thing that these guys do when they tell people it's not a contract. Yeah. I got to get this guy to sign up because if he doesn't sign up, then we don't have the revenue coming. And so you have to have somebody that has the same values as I do, which is I'm not willing to trade my integrity for money. And there's not a lot of people in today's hyper-consumerism society that I think are willing to make that choice, right? So if I'm going to do something digitally marketing-wise, I'm going to use somebody that was recommended by somebody else. But even if you do that, you're still at the mercy of like, if you don't really know what's going on, yeah. then 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 you're subject to, you know, being bent over, right? Well, I guess what... so, so if I was using somebody to do that, yeah. then I'd have to have somebody like you where I have a relationship with you outside of my business. Right. And I know that like, and again, that, I mean, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna pay you probably um one of the highest compliments I can pay you is that I know that you are genuinely authentic. Yeah. You know, even if there's some things that and and I, I mean there's not really anything I can think about that I that I don't like about you, right? But even if there are things that I didn't like about you, one thing that I could live with and and that I would show more trust in you than somebody that I even liked is that I know that you have like you're authentically genuine right this is the problem right that i from someone for the last so time i gotta find that person was yeah. what i'm saying yeah if yeah. i was ever to do a transition like that you have to find that person yeah right or you have to have some kind of shared benefit in how the structure is set up right because if people don't have skin like people don't do anything unless they have to yeah and it's i know that from employees they don't do anything unless they are forced to do it typically yeah right and so if I if I'm going to hire somebody to do that, I gotta find somebody that is forced to do it with integrity. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's the biggest obstacle in creating your own lead funnels. Yeah. So as I told you, there's three different ways to do it. You can buy leads, mm -hmm. you can stand up ads on Google, on Meta, on TikTok, on Snap, those types of those types of platforms, or you can build the funnels yourself. And so I would, again, I'm advising even to young entrepreneurs out there, and I'm not necessarily directing this towards, you know, your company, but I would just say, get comfortable with slower growth, get comfortable with, um, a slower, uh, more minimal rate of return and start early with building those funnels yourself. Mm -hmm. I would say, don't fall in the same way that I urge people not to 
um, run towards things that are shiny that they see on Instagram, right? Whether it's business coaches, lead platforms that people are selling, lead funnels, right? Um, you, you must have seen those on here. Yeah, well, and like look outside of your cell yeah. to solve this problem, right? Like that's the real crux of that. And it's not to say that a business coach doesn't have value. You have one, right? Yeah. But it's like, if you think running to those people right. is going to fix your problem. And if you find, be like, if, if you're not, if you're one of those people that's like, okay, I'm looking for anything outside myself to solve this problem. Yeah. Do you think that business coach is going to be like, no, you're $5,000 a month that I want. I'm going to say no to that because you're not the right yeah. type of person for this or whatever. It's like, I bet there's very few of them doing that. Right. Yeah. So. Especially, you know, the Instagram influencer business coaches of today yes. that haven't built success for themselves true success right that haven't reached this like pinnacle in their career where they're like okay i'm comfortable with where i've gotten now it's time to share the knowledge that i have with younger entrepreneurs i think there's a difference there's a market difference between my business coach and the business coaches that are selling courses on the internet for $400 a month or something. Yeah. I think mean, what I'm talking about is, listen, you have three different numbers that you can place chips on in the roulette table. You can buy leads, right? You can stand up leads yourself on these aforementioned platforms, mm -hmm. or you can build these lead funnels yourself, right? Yeah. The first one is probably the most opaque, the yeah. less reliable, and you will fall victim to running towards what's glittery and sparkly and ultimately feel let down. Yep. I think the second one, uh, which standing up leads on these platforms, is a more safe bet, um, especially if you're just starting out. However, overcoming the CPA, the cost per acquisition, mm -hmm. is very difficult. So it's, it's for young entrepreneurs out there who want to advertise and bring in these leads, they're looking at like, let's say you open up Keyword Planner on Google, Right. And you're like, you type in your query and the query is pest control. I don't know offhand what that query's uh, minimum and maximum cost are, cost per click mm -hmm. over the course of, let's say, November of this year. But I imagine somewhere between $25 and $50 per click. Well, that's expensive, mm -hmm. especially when you start to realize that like, okay, only like 5% of the people that click your ad ultimately end up in your mousetrap. Yeah. Right. 5% of the people that see a pest control PPC ad on Google, only 5% of those people, right, are ultimately going to be your customer. Yeah. So overcoming those costs seemingly are insurmountable in today's economy just because the biggest players in your industry, right? They are flooding that. Yeah. They're flooding that because they have unlimited access to capital, be it funded by PE or like you said, a strategic partner comes in yeah. um, and their marketing budget for the month looks like your revenue for yeah. the year. Yeah. So I would just argue to the young entrepreneurs that are listening to today's podcast, just start building those lead funnels early on. And what are those lead funnels? Those lead funnels are not one website, but 10 websites. And there's there's all these things that you can do, whether it's WordPress, Team Forest templates, Right, and you're writing articles centered around homeownership, mortgages, real estate, um, bugs, um, weather, 
um, any of those sort of any of those topics, you start writing content centered around the the key terms that I would say are um, sister wives that are like sister wives to like what you're selling, um, because if you start to invest in those lead funnels, let's say you have ten websites. And you're investing in people always telling you like with Instagram, ah, oh, you got to post twice a day, got to post, you know, um, you know, twice a day, three times a day, and you got to be consistent and look at how many followers you've acquired after 90 days. Well, the same is to be said with regards to lead funnels. How many articles are you standing up a day? What are the keywords implicit within those articles? How do those keywords relate to the product that you're selling? And then once that mousetrap is put into play on the internet, Google has crawled the page you've stood up. They've indexed the page that you've stood up and they've given you domain authority to the extent that if you're talking about weather resistant shingles on your roof, right? Mm -hmm. That that article is going to rank in, let's say, the top three organic spots on the first page of Google, right? Not the sponsored spots, spots at the top, but rather the first three organic, right, links that you see on the page. Well, if they've given you domain authority, right, if they've ascribed a value to the content you're pushing out. And there's no excuse in today's in today's digital world, if you want to write an article, you're chat GPT and you say, I want to write an article about this. These are the keywords that I want to include. This is the article length I want to have, right? What what do you suggest? And then it creates an outline for you. If you want to do the labor, if you want to do the labor, okay, then you start writing that article. But if you want to let chat GPT write that article, let ChatGPT write that article. Ultimately, you can be the editor. You stand up all of those articles on, on these sort of 10 websites. You get domain authority from Google, right? Somebody reads that article, a modal window pops up on the screen that says, we do creepy or whatever your, your product might be. The modal window is that like overlay, right? That That is your CTA, your call to action. And it draws them into the mousetrap. Then you've effectively built a free, right? Yeah. Lead source. Yeah. And I can't argue with you on that because I've had thoughts now for six, seven years where even at one point I brought on a whole me like a little media crew, right? Some guys that I knew that were at university trying to figure out how yeah. to do all this AV stuff. And, and we're really good at it and made some commercials. We had some fun. That's awesome. And none of it ever really got posted or, or used to monetize anything. And, and, and I, I know that that needs to be done. In fact, like that's probably one of the best things that I could do for a community is I have no problem giving away the knowledge for free. There you go. Because And the reason is, is I know that there's people that don't want to do it. Yeah. Right. I can, I want you to know how to identify a termite. I want you to know if, whether you have termites or not. So that if there's some inspector under the, uh, over your place, that's unscrupulous or whatever, whatever, right. That, that you can tell what's going on. And that's and, the type of content that if you would stand up on TikTok would absolutely go viral. Yeah, and I have I have hours of video that I've made myself yeah. that we just haven't put to use because we've got comfortable doing doing one thing, right? Yeah. But like that is the next phase for me, which is in my business, yeah. the customer is central, right? Yeah. I want to create an environment where the customer can have a different experience than one that's based on revenue and commissions of the people that they're dealing with. Don't right? give away all your secrets today. Yeah, well, but... I mean, there's not enough time for that because I have so many secrets, right? Love. How are we doing on time? We're good. Okay, cool. 
Okay, so so in that situation, I think the next step for me is that you know, I've I've acquired quite a bit of knowledge on pest control, and and I'm one of these guys that was a salesperson, and most of the sales per people don't care to know the the details, right? They're just like, okay, what are the rules? What can I sell? I'm gonna go out and sell. What's my commission? Yeah. Whereas for me, I I really had a a problem with what was being delivered to the customer, and I'm I'm more concerned about that. I I feel like if I can create an experience for the customer that's positive, the, the money's going going to come. Yeah. And so for me, the next thing that I can really do to provide value for my customers or my community is to now take this knowledge that I've gained over the years and give them what they need in order to make the right decision at their house. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And so I can run a company that will service these people if they don't want to do it themselves, which most people don't. But I can at least arm them with knowledge that's going to help them to make the best decision, even if they don't hire me. I like I don't care really. What I want to do is I want to be able to empower people to make better decisions or to make their their living situation better. Let me tell the future. Yeah. Can I go? Can I be the magic? Let's ball? see. Hopefully, the eighth ball. No, they shake the magic yeah. ball. All right. I think if you take that, you know, again, time is time is something that you can give and never get back, right? I'm going to open this tool, which oh, yeah. that's a good sound. <laughs> oh, that's a great sound. This is my favorite one. Yeah, yeah. I think as we wrap up today's podcast, I would say to people that time is the most valuable commodity that's traded amongst human beings. Nice. Well, well, nice. There goes the shirt. I like it that much. Yeah, man. Speaking of shirt, we get we do creepy shirts. Oh, hey, you want to know that's funny? You asked that because I had got I brought some stuff for you guys. So I've got. Uh, got some somewhere brand like our brand is supposed to be fun right yeah so i used to have a huge mustache <laughs> that um, awesome. i've seen that on the car yeah i used to have a huge mustache that was like curled my wife got sick of it and uh eventually led to me like not being welcome in our bed so it had to it had to go a lot of people were disappointed in that but um dude that's great one of our weedycreepy.com shirts on the back got the the weedycreepy.com logo on there you saw so, so, oh I'm yeah, yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah. Well, I gotta, I gotta hang on to the things that got me here. You know. Yeah. Will this, will this fit, Josh? What is this? Oh yeah. Same March. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's gonna show off his guns. Yeah. As we yeah. can tell, he's doing a little bit more working out than you. Yeah. yeah. He's uh, got a weedy creep got hat for you. So this is awesome. I know that you guys both have uh, a lot better hair than me. Oh. You know where? Wow. But, uh, the truth was that was I, I was right I was out Yes. I've embraced it. And then, uh, you know, me and William share uh, a, an affinity for the Padres. So oh, I brought him some gear so that oh. when you come and use my tickets next year, oh, you have actually something presentable to wear. <laughs> Look at that, dude. So, yeah, I definitely do not roll in Padres gear. I appreciate that. Yeah, so. Thank you. Um, Much appreciated. Yeah, hopefully the Padres can do a little bit better than they did last we'll, season. Well, maybe we'll fly to Cuyahoga. We, we, yeah, we should. Okay. But I've got season tickets this year, so. Uh, again, so yeah, we'll, we'll have to go take in a game. We'll take the we'll yeah. take the crew. Thank you. Final point. Yeah. Final point. I want to lock this in as final answer. Seeing the future. I think the future for you is knowing that you don't have an unlimited amount of arrows in your quiver. That knowledge that you want to share, be it on TikTok or Instagram, hey, this is a bug, this is a termite, this is a scorpion, it doesn't matter, right? This is how to spot it. This is what happens if you get stung. This is what happens if you get bitten. This is what you can prevent. Um, 
this is what you can do to try to sort of stifle the proliferation of these bugs, right? I think that content, if you stand it up, you'll build greater brand awareness centered around We Do Creepy. And I think ultimately those will become, right, de facto lead funnels. And I think what you're going to start to realize is the breadth, the reach of Instagram and of TikTok, you're going to start seeing DMs. You're going to get flooded by DMs of people asking questions, showing you video of what's in their backyard. And they're going, can you service my house? And I think whether you want to, um, whether you want to expand into all these locales that we talked about or not, I think some, in some way, once you stand up that content, it's going to force your hand. We good? Yeah. As long as every time you say we do creepy, you just add a .com to it. So the, the name is the website, we do creepy.com. It's not, not we but, creepy, pass control, anything like that. We'll drop, we'll drop we it in there. Creepy. We do creepy.com. All right. All Let's right. end it there. See you next time, boys. Thanks, guys.